Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, folks. Uh, two or three little things before we <clears throat> jump into the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, and then go from there. Uh, <clears throat> beginning today, because we haven't done this for a while, uh, if you're a first-time visitor to our church, be sure and drop in back at the visitor's table. We got a nice little gift for you and uh, a handshake and a beg you to come back and all that good stuff. And um, one of the things I'd like for you to kind of think about and pray about, this is a different request, I know, but this past week, we sent an invitation from our church to the University of Kentucky asking that Oscar Ditch, however you say it, Toshibwe or whatever his name is there. Anyway, this kid is um, from the Congo, which is a horrible place in Africa, probably one of the worst there. He came to, uh, to a, from, the, from the Congo, he came down to, uh, to the mission down in Grundy, Virginia, and then, then he went to a school in, in Philadelphia, played unhappily in West Virginia because their coach is a jerk, and, and then transferred to Kentucky. He probably, probably will be named as the NCAA Basketball Player of the Year in the United States. Last week, when Kentucky was defeated by Arkansas, he came back home, and on Sunday morning, he was preaching at the Baptist Church, on Broadway Baptist Church there in Lexington the next day. I think the young folks here, and some of us older guys too, would really get a giggle and, uh, and have a good time having Oscar here. He's just a little guy, six, nine, or ten, 260-some pounds. I need another bouncer anyway. So anyway, I'd like for you to pray that, that he will say yes and come and visit on a weekend here with us. Those of you who follow basketball, and everybody will now in March, it's, they're going to call it March Madness for nothing. And, um, but I just want you to know that invitation, and he already has it. But he will not respond immediately because we ask him, please, to show it to the coach and make sure that our offer uh, would, uh, would not in any way violate the NCAA rules and all that good stuff that they have to worry about. But I wanted you to know that and uh, something for you to think about. <clears throat> and for those of you who have asked, where's my first wife? Well, she left me. And she went to Florida to visit her sister for a day or two. She, her, Donna Wayne, her sister, is not well. And so Alice Kay was wanting to spend some time with her here. So she up and left me again. And she's gone. Should be back Wednesday night. That's assuming that airlines fly. The text that <clears throat> has been assigned to me, and by the way, I don't pick these anymore. Matthew does that. And it should give me reason to smack him around every once in a while, but I haven't done that yet. But probably, sh well, 
Maybe I have back some time ago. But anyway, he, verses 5 and 6 of the 27th chapter of the book of Proverbs is really difficult to explain. The point of it is simply this. Be a big boy, put on your pants, and speak up. Have the guts to speak up and to say what needs to be said. The, uh, I've told you all for years, and maybe you bought it and maybe you didn't, that aside from your salvation, it is my opinion that the most precious thing that you'll ever have in your life is your freedom. Now, that concept of freedom actually comes from the Scriptures. That isn't something that somebody dreamed up. In fact, with, even within the church, that freedom was emphasized. And you, we'll talk about that a little later on. But it's one, of the, one of the passages that you ought to kind of get straight in your mind is from 2 Corinthians 3.17. that says essentially, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom or liberty, the same word, mean, means exactly the same thing. We're the most fortunate people on the face of the earth. And surely by now, as you watch the news, you've, you're beginning to figure that out. And if we are to keep that freedom, you're going to have to do more than just sit in church and be a nice guy. We're going to have to speak up. And the title that was assigned to me was, Speak up. One of the things that, that the church has done well through the years, and in recent years, the predominantly black churches have done better. They have actually, without fear, brought politicians, other people in to say their peace. Not only invited them, but encouraged them to do so. Some of the rest of us, I think, have been intimidated and haven't had the guts to do the same thing because I think they were wise. I don't believe that the progress in the war against racism would have gone, have reached the level that it has since slavery if those churches hadn't done that. And so I don't envy them. I respect them for that. And I'm saying the rest of us need to do the same thing. We need to have the courage to do what we think the Spirit of God has led us to do without fear of retribution or intimidation. When John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, which is really a holiness movement within the Episcopal Church, when John Wesley put together his organization, he wrote a thing called the Methodist Discipline. And in that Methodist discipline, it clearly states this phrase, the freedom of the pulpit, which means that no one in the congregation has the authority or the right to prohibit the preacher from speaking his mind. Now, that, that makes probably some people uncomfortable. But before I get through here this morning, you'll know why Wesley did that. He was on solid biblical grounds. So that means that if you don't, you're afraid of what your preacher just say, you better start praying for him. Because, uh, and that might not work either, but <laughs> you ought to at least do it. Because I believe in the New Testament, 
And we'll get to that in just a second. We need to look at this passage of Scripture that he assigned to me. It, it's, it isn't easy to figure out because the situation here in life was that Solomon was teaching his children, especially his old eldest that was to succeed him, not very well, but he did, to prepare them for the future. And one of the things that he said here in verse 5, it is better, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Now that's really kind of, what the heck is he saying? The Hebrews had a, had a way of doing things, and I think we do the same thing sometimes, was this. You take a statement that you want to emphasize, and then you take the opposite of that to, to, so it will show how important it is. And he's kind of done that here. Hidden love is totally useless. If you, if, you know, and, and probably all of us have done that a little bit, you know, have seen, especially young guys who, you've seen some girl with a classy chassis and you'd give anything to ask her for a date and you well, see her wherever she is and kind of follow her around, keep, keep peeping at her through schools and you do all that kind of stuff. But you never get the guts to walk up to her and say, hey, babe, why don't you get lucky and give me a date? You know, but, but we don't do that. So you accomplish nothing, right? So what he's saying here is, is an open rebuke as uncomfortable as it make you feel has greater value in helping us get to the place where we ought to be than hidden love. And he, he just emphasizes it again in, in verse 6, saying, wounds from a friend can be trusted. In other words, words that are, that wound. Because you don't want to lose a friend, and if you say something to a friend who's kind of messed up in his behavior or his attitude or whatever, you better listen. It's to be trusted. But the enemy multiplies with kisses. Remember Judas? So he's, what he's doing here is just using one. But, but the bottom line is this. It is better to speak up than to have hidden love. It is better to speak up and learn to talk to each other. I probably spend more time listening to people that I don't agree with than those who I do. Because I think it's important that we show respect. When, if I were to pick the person that I would like to see the President of the United States, I happen to know him, not really well, but I know him, is old Governor Huckabee. And the reason I like the guy is he is kind to the people with whom he disagrees without compromising. And that's a real quality in life. Be respectful if you want to be respected. And so, you know... I listen to those that I figure I don't agree with because sometimes there's something you can learn from it and vice versa. From the day the church started on the day of Pentecost and the few weeks following, the church was told, if you think counterculture is new, it isn't. It started then. The combination of the government of Israel and, and the religion of Israel were tied. They were closely related. 
it was initially called a theocracy. Fancy word that means God is running the show. God is over the people. Well, the, in time, <clears throat> Israel uh, was really a self-righteous bunch who thought they were better than everybody else because God had blessed them. And so God then intervenes in church history as he do, as, in history as he does on occasion to suit himself. And he dealt with the problem of sin because we couldn't. There wasn't anything we could do about it because sinners can't pay for sinners. And so Jesus died on a cross and his death on the cross was sufficient payment in the eyes of God that all men, if they chose to, could come to Christ and be saved and be added to the role of the kingdom of God. All men everywhere. The Jewish organization resented that because Peter, in particular, was going up on the temple grounds where the, where the Jewish temple was and was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And he died on the cross, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And, we're here, and we saw him, we know him, da-da-da-da. <clears throat> the Jewish leaders came to Peter and said, from this day on, and we're the rulers of this country. They really weren't. The Romans were. We're the rulers of this country, and you're no longer permitted to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter's response to that was the basis of what John Wesley wrote in the Methodist Discipline about the freedom of the pulpit. Peter spoke right back to his adversaries and said, do we obey you or God? Do we listen to man or God? And they continued to preach and teach. The next thing was Peter, they got pitched in jail. And then while they were in jail, before they turned them loose, they beat them, flogged them. And when they came out of jail and came back with the small gathering of believers there in Jerusalem... They responded in this way. Aren't you mad at the Jews for beating on you? And they said, look, we rejoice at the fact that we've been able to suffer in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I ain't hardly that far up in the list yet. I think I would have resented it to the max, but that wasn't their position. So this counterculture thing and the suppression of the Christian message at different times in history has always been, and we're facing it now. Now, the reason this is uh, important is, if I, I hope you'll see before we're done here, is because our freedom as citizens of the country, our, our freedom is in jeopardy, more so than a lot of people realize because things have happened. And whenever you start taking positions that people don't like, they will come back at you and say, Oh, don't you, you're not allowed to judge. Oh, take a hike. You, may, you have to make judgments all the time. He's talking about judging the destiny of people's souls. He wasn't talking about making the decision on right and wrong. So they take the, tech, the context clear out of its biblical meaning and apply it to something that justifies their jumping on you for taking position on morality and issues of the Bible. 
So I want you to look at, if you will, if you have a Bible or an iPhone, whatever you choose, look in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and look at these first five verses, because in these first five verses, the Apostle Paul tells this young preacher, this is your assignment as a preacher of the gospel. This is what you are to do, and that has been passed down to all of us through the centuries. He starts off by saying, <clears throat> In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge or command. Preach the word. Okay, stop there this long enough. What does he mean by the word? He, the word that he's talking about here is what God has revealed through the Holy Spirit to the apostles and that they have taught them. And the essence of the gospel is spelled out in the first verses of the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians when it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the basis of everything. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul said, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and we're of all people the most miserable. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, which means all the time, to do these three things. To correct, to rebuke, and to encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I get about 50% on that one. I do with careful instruction, but the great patience sometimes I fall a tad short on. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths of men. But keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, which means to seek the lost and offer them salvation through Jesus Christ. And discharge the duties of your ministry. Let's look at each of those words before we go on. The word correct <clears throat> is not a harsh word. And there are actually places in the scripture that kind of show how that's to be done. If you'll turn to the sixth chapter, starting at verse 1 of the book of Galatians, he, sh he demonstrates here exactly this same apostle talking, what he's talking about. It's kind of like a little child that you correct. You just don't swat them ahead of time and, and whatever, unless you're being goofy. You try to teach them and help them get out of the whatever, you know. It's just a, you want to correct them for their own benefit. And you never want to do it, as Matthew said, when you're mad. Take a walk and cool off. Now, so let's look at here's, here's specifically how it's to be done. Somebody said this weekend, are you going to get up there and give them a hell, fire, and damnation? I'm not a hell, fire, and damnation guy. I'm really not. I may believe it, but I think how you present it is as important as what you present. The attitude of the preacher, it shouldn't be one, I hope God get even with you. It should be, I hope God 
will be given a place in your heart. And the blessings that he's eager to give can be yours. Here's what he says, if you're ready. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, he's talking about in the church. You who are spiritually mature should restore him gently. It's not kick butt and take name. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. In other words, what he's saying is, one of these days they may be coming to you. So treat them the way you would want to be treated in a similar situation. Because, look, sooner or later all of us trip and fall. And we don't need somebody with their foot on our neck. We need a hand to be lifted up. That's why he says in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what that law is? It's a four-letter word. It's love. The law of Christ is love, and, it's, and we could take the time to prove that. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Now, that's, that's the end of, of that situation, but I want to add verse 6, not because it has anything to do with the sermon. It doesn't. It's just something I'd like to say. He says, anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with the instructor. That means you've got to hit the bucket, folks, to take care of the poor old preacher who's on the verge of starvation. Well, I, I just wanted to put that in there, even though it's not a part of the sermon, okay? Now, so correction then is done in this way. On the assumption that any of us at some time or another may need correction. This next word, to rebuke, that's tougher. This is a pretty strong statement. And there are a couple of incidences in Scripture that we'll talk about a little later on where that took place. Paul actually confronted Peter on one occasion to his face in front of people. And Peter evidently accepted it gracefully and backed down, and he needed to. And then there are others where Jesus actually rebuked his apostles from time to time, but we'll touch that down on the third point. And the last one is encourage. Encourage people. We, you know, I really, you know the people in our culture today that I feel my heart goes out to worse than any, more than any? It's the young people that they call uh, millennials. You would think that they were just all had one foot in hell and the other one close by on a banana peel. Because those young folks who are children, people like me and our grandchildren, are pretty much what we raised them to be. So we have, some, we have some responsibility here that we need to fess up to. I raised, with Alice Kay's help, five kids of our own and a few others. And, and we didn't, a lot of things we didn't do right. They were five spoiled brats. I can see that now 50 years later. At the time, we thought we were doing the right thing. We wanted them to get through school. We wanted them to get through college without owing anybody anything. 
and we were able to do that. But in the mean, but in that process, what we did that was wrong, that I know, and there are lots of other things too, but this one in particular, we led them to believe that they should get what they don't deserve just because they want it. And that was our fault. You know what we did? We gave our children, each one of them as they got to a certain age, we gave them an allowance. Now, that allowance wasn't earned. We gave it to them primarily because it caused them to shut up and go on their way. The right way to win, and I didn't learn this until later. Because when I grew up, there, my dad couldn't even pronounce allowance, much less give you one. What we got, we had to earn. And even when I worked at T.T. Hill and Son for $30 a week during the summer, and I was 14 years old, $5 a day, when I got home with my $30, I had to give 10 to Mother to help pay for what we ate. I didn't resent that much. A little? Yeah, I did. But that's the way it was. And when we raised our kids, the only time they were of any real value was on the 15th of April. You could write some off then, you know, on your taxes. Other than that, they were primarily a nuisance. Because they, they did very little, if anything, to contribute to the, the needs of the family. What I should have done is I should have said, okay, here's your job. You're to make your bed, you're to clean your room, and you help your mother with the dishes. You're to do this, that. And on Friday, if you've done all these things, you'll get paid. They should have been taught this is what the way you earn a living. So they grew up thinking, hey, <laughs> It's always been given to me. Why shouldn't we get If mom and dad won't do it, let the government do it. All wrong. All wrong. And it was our fault. Can it be fixed? I don't know. I really don't know. It's way down the road. And, uh, and if you can fix it, fine, because I'll probably be watching in heaven and rooting for you. But it's that. And what we need to learn, folks, that... As Christians that we haven't done a very good job on, and I think it started here in the pulpit, to be honest with you, is that we haven't had, we haven't been straightforward enough with our people. And as I said, the black churches, from clear back in the time of when the Nazis were doing their thing, one of the leaders of the church in Germany came to the U.S. and he visited churches in New York and the only church that he found that had the guts to say what needed to be said was a predominantly black congregation. And that's in writing in his life. Now, if we do that, we're going to take some of the same heat. But I think we need to do it. I honestly do. There are two things that we have stood for, but not very strongly. We've tried to be Christian in our behavior. But some things require a rebuke. Christian brothers require correction. Facing sin requires rebuke. You remember when Jesus rebuked Peter? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He called him the devil. That's fairly straight talk. 
we face, and, and here's, get this, from the time that I was in the fifth grade, I was a point guard on a basketball team, believe it or not. In Germantown, Kentucky, in Bracken County, we had two leagues for the people in junior high down. Junior high was seventh, eighth, ninth grade school. They had anybody that was under five, four, I think it was, were called the midgets. That's what their team was called. The others, older guys, were called the junior high team and the midgets. Hey, I qualified from the midgets from the time I was 29. So, it, it, you know, as far as size was concerned. So, I, I, I always, and I learned this. It's a whole lot more fun to shoot the ball than it is to guard the guy who's shooting it. It's, it's just that simple. And, and that same principle is true in debate and discussion. It's a whole lot more fun to make the other guy defend. We as Christians have put ourselves into a position where we've defended abortion. We have defended same marriage between just a man and a woman. We've, we've defended that. And even though that's right, it's not a succeeding method. It's making the other guy defend why they take the lives of babies that we should be doing. And we can do that if we get off of our hind legs and take advantage of the opportunities as free people that we have. For you see, in discussion, the individual who controls the narrative wins the discussion. In a debate, and I was on a debate team for a while, in a debate, you always want to get in control of the proposition. Because you grant me my basic premise in a discussion, I'll beat you every time. I don't care if you've got three degrees in law. I can beat you every time if I can get in control of, the, of that fundamental basic proposition. Actually... The number of abortions have begun to decrease, and it hadn't had anything to do with the church and the message of the importance and the value of human life. It's been because of a thing that, of technology really, ultrasound has done more to help young women see that human beings in the womb are human beings, and they're alive. They suck their thumb. They scratch where they itch. They do a lot of things. They just happen to have a good deal going. They got mama taking care of them. And God's involved in that, too. I, I learned this in a class years ago at the hospital. We're, the, the class was on the value of a human anatomy in regard to the safety of a baby carried in the womb of the mother. You know, some of you guys, if, if your wife has a little bit of fat on her belly, don't you complain. God put that there in girls for a really good reason. He put it there. It didn't evolve. He put it there. You know what? If the baby needs an extra bite to eat, that little file of fat there, that's their supper. And if you bump into something like this, 
and your belly hits something that like the edge of a table or something, guess what? There's a shock absorber there. It's called fat. You see, the hand of God can be seen in things everywhere if you look for it. Now, the, the sticky one now, even more, because they've kind of dismissed the, the fight about the life of abortion, I guess is going to get hot now before the Supreme Court, if I'm right in what I read. And if and when divorce, that whole business is, if that abortion thing is turned around, the opponents will be in the street raising more cane than you've ever seen in probably anything since Vietnam War. And it's that way because they say it's the, a woman's right to privacy. Now, a woman's right to privacy that the Supreme Court ruled should give her the right to abortion is dealt with in our founding documents, which says that every American citizen has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You ain't going to have much liberty or pursuit of happiness if you don't have life. Now here's the, and, and now you got that piled up. And then on the other hand, we've got marriage between a man and a woman. That whole thing came, of course, from the Garden of Eden and outset in the Bible says that's what marriage is. Now, when same-sex people get married, they ain't married. They're just living together because marriage, by definition, requires a male and a female living together for the purpose of having children and, and having a future for the human race. That's the way God set it up. And it's just that simple. Now, those folks... The homosexual folks are citizens of the United States. And they have every right to everything that any citizen has. And we should defend that. But when they stick their nose into redefining marriage, which is a biblical thing, they've crossed the line. And we haven't said dickly squat except we complain to each other. And you see, the problem so often is, in each of our families, almost all of us have someone in our family who is homosexual, lesbian, or whatever. All of us, nearly all of us do. And if you don't, good for you. But we do. Intelligent young woman went to a, you know went to a preacher in Middletown who said, ah, as long as you're faithful, one another doesn't matter. Ooh, I'd love to get my hands on that preacher. I hope he's little. So, you know, but this kind of stuff has gone on, and we haven't said much. And I'm saying, folks, the time has come when we must say something. We need to speak up. And there's many ways available for us to do it so that you don't look like idiots in the process. And all need to do that. That doesn't mean we don't love people who are different from us. But it does mean we differ. I have a lot of good friends that are homosexuals. 
And the reason that I really care about them is I have other friends who have been homosexuals who pulled out of that lifestyle when they received the Spirit of God in their life and they're married normally and have children. And, it's, and, and they are the ones that tell me, don't give up. It's doable. Our culture says it's not. You're born that way. They've been smoking dope. So the crucial question for us, us Christians is, and I wrote this down there, and this is where the rubber is the road, and it can make you and me both uncomfortable. But the crucial question is, if we're going to remain consistent, can we as Christians support any organization, any organization, or support any politician who endorses abortion and same-sex marriage? I can't. I honestly cannot. I don't hate anybody, but I don't agree. And I think I'm on solid biblical grounds for doing it. And what I would encourage you to keep in your mind is this. We ultimately will stand before God to give an account of where we stand and what we did. And answer me this. Can you look God straight in the face and say, well, I think abortion's all right. Because sooner or later, you and I both will answer to none other than the God who created us. Correction is needed in our culture. How is it to be done? It's really this simple. I've had people come to me and say, hey, you, you and Ralph are buddies with Portman. Talk to him about it. I spend time talking to Tom Massey, who's a representative across the river in the Promised Land. We talk about these things. All of these things openly and honestly. And what they, now listen to me, because this is where it comes back to us. And they say, look, I enjoy visiting with you guys and all that kind of good stuff, and we talk about this, that, and the other. But what we really listen to is if somebody picks up the telephone on our 800 line and calls us or writes us a letter, we read them and we take them seriously. We need to learn how to talk on the telephone. Those of you who have these little things that you go around like this and run into people on the sidewalk because you're looking at this thing, we need to use those little things to, get, to let the politicians know where we stand. Now, how I would do it and what I would put in writing may be different from what you would put in writing. And that's okay. But it's time we speak up. Because what I would say, some of you would say, well, you're... you're, you're You've been smoking dope too, you know, because, you know, I'm just saying this. I'm not saying you need to. I'm saying this, and I, this is what I am going to do. I'm going to write to everybody from the school board to the governor to the representatives and the senators, and they're going to hear from me starting this week. I've talked about it, but I didn't ever do that because I just talked to the people that I knew, which happened to be Rob Portman and, and uh, Tom Massey. What I will say to them is this. Our presidents 
starting clear back at the First World War, and it's gotten progressively worse with either party, name it, <clears throat> are making laws that they were never meant to make. What is it they call it when the president writes one of these little things and hands it out? <clears throat> the Republicans and the Democrats are equally at fault. The President of the United States, according to the Constitution, is to be the chief executive, and any laws that he is to see that are implemented are to have been passed by the Congress of the United States. And when the Supreme Court or the President starts making laws, they need to be pulled back in. Because whenever, whenever any position gets that strong, it is only one step more to a dictatorship. And then all of it's gone. My opinion is, if the states need to reassert themselves, and if they did, they would say, okay, all you states down there, close the border. And I would say, like all of those people that we got out of Afghanistan, and 200,000 people, you know, over a period of what, a month or so. Take those same airplanes, load up all these illegal immigrants, send them back home, and before they get off the plane, give them an application to become a citizen of the United States and say, we'll help you pay for it. But we've got to get the thing taken care of. And I would say to the states up in the Northwest, open the pipeline and do it yourself. That's another president's business. Because you know, a lot of people don't realize that you're and my tax money, and it's because the whole bunch up there padding their own pockets on both sides of the political fence are allowing your tax money, I'm not exaggerating, allowing your and my tax money to support Putin's war against the Ukrainians. 300 and some million dollars a month in purchasing Russian oil. Almost a little less than two million barrels a month that we buy from them. And we're not saying anything. I'll pay $5 a gallon for gas if you quit giving that sucker over there. Because I have said consistently for years, the biggest enemy we have for the future is what? Marxism. And if you can't see its evil now embodied in that kind of thing that's going on, you see what happened a long time ago. And Marxism is a, is a nice way of saying socialism and communism. Marx was the guy who invented the whole thing, put it in writing, at least, in the Communist Manifesto. And it's a creeping thing. You see, Marxism is anti-God, and it assumes that the federal government takes over everything that the Bible says belongs to God. They own everything, even your children. Your children belong to the government in Marxism. And if you don't raise your children the way they want you to raise your children, they can come and get those children because they belong to them. See the, see the danger that we're facing? Now, there are bad parents. 
And some of us have been, all of us have been bad once in a while. But in most of the instances, it's none of their business. It is a creeping thing that has got, and it's even, they even said, now to guys like me, one of our presidents even said, you take a stand like that and we'll take away your tax-exempt status. And they tried that on a church. It lasted for a week. We cannot be intimidated or cannot be afraid of anything except standing before our God, which we ultimately have to do to give an answer for why we have lived our lives and taken our stands. My job is to preach the Word, to correct, and when necessary, to rebuke, and where possible, to encourage. I encourage you to take a stand, send your letters, call the 800 numbers, take a stand. Now, there's a very real possibility. There are, na- there are down things to this. Is there any possibility that the IRS, as a result of what I'm saying here, will come and check me out? Maybe. Maybe. Will they find something wrong? They look far enough. They can find something wrong. Didn't cross a T or dot an I. Some never done anything on purpose. Because paying your taxes is part of your Christian responsibility. It's there in Scripture. But playing the role that I'm playing today is not easy or comfortable. But I think it's necessary. And we're going to get, we're going to, Start having preachers' meetings with people who share our positions to see how we can make a wave. We need to be corrected on the time. On the time God corrected Peter. Let's see what time do I? Oh, I got ten minutes to beat on your ears. Do you remember when Peter was taking it easy down in Joppa? That's kind of the it, that's the seaport, primary seaport of Israel, there on the southern end, just, by, just inside of Tel Aviv. And he was sitting there daydreaming, and he had a vision. Now, he's, here's an Orthodox Jew, tough Omri. And this sheet came down from heaven, and it had all kinds of creepy crawlers, things on it, and the voice said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. He jumped up on his hind legs and said, Hey, I am a Jew, and I've never eaten anything, probably a lie, I've never eaten anything in my life that isn't clean in the eyes of the law. She came down again. Hey, Pete. What I say is clean, is clean. Arise, kill and eat. Peter hadn't any more and trying to walk. What the heck is going on? Knock on the door. The guy at the door said, Hey, Peter, a Roman guy from up north here, a little piece. He's called a God-fearer. He's a Roman centurion. 
His name is Cornelius, and he's asked to see you as a follower of Jesus. He's a Gentile. Not just a Gentile, he's a Roman. The people who were just brutal to the, to the Jews. Peter already said, I don't mess with that kind of stuff. But God is saying, Pete, get off your carcass and go see this guy. He went to see Cornelius. Oh, Cornelius, a ruler of the Romans, fell down on his knees before Peter. Peter said, hey, you're bound before the wrong guy. I'm just a human like you. Get up on your feet. And he led him to Christ. Peter needed to be corrected, you see, because he thought only the Jews were favored by God. But Jesus said, Paul, or John rather said about Jesus, he was an expression of God's love for the world, everybody in it. Peter had a hard time getting over that. You see, the Jews had this idea when the church started. Their idea was... It's all this Christianity thing's all right if it's an arm of Judaism. But it's an independent new thing. Jesus said it's an independent new thing because you can't put new wine in old wineskins. He said, no, 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 no. This is a new thing. The Jews were saying, hey, as long as the guys are circumcised, it doesn't make any difference. Let them do whatever they want to. And they were having this meeting of the Christian leaders to discuss that. And the Apostle Paul showed up there, who was an apostle to the, who? Gentiles. The uncircumcised. The pagan. The word Gentile means pagan. Paul said, hey, Pete, because what happened is these guys all got together who believed in, who were pushing this circumcision thing. Even Barnabas got sucked into it, and they were all sitting together in a group, bad-mouthing everybody else. And Paul showed up, and he said, Peter, you're wrong. We don't live any longer under the law which requires circumcision. We are now under grace. And that grace is extended to whosoever will. I bet you old Pete swallowed hard. Because he was the spokesman for the apostles. Later on in his writing, he said, you know, the apostle Paul says some pretty hard things every once in a while. But he was right. And Peter admitted it. He sometimes... The scripture actually says, I like these now. I say, I like to pitch in something every once in a while that I like. He's talking about rebuking someone. But there's some people in the scriptures that said, you're not to do that too. And I qualify. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? So, so if you're six foot and over, mean as a snake and got muscles, you've got to be my bouncer. <laughs> I may have to have some protection. Because actually that's what, if you go... Or to when Paul was writing to Titus <clears throat> in the first chapter, he says this, starting at what, verse 10. There are many rebellious people, mere talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. See, that's the one Peter was hanging out with when he was being a jerk. They must be silenced because they're ruining the whole households by teaching things that ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest money. 
Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans, and that's where Titus was, are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. And that's pretty strong talk, isn't it? They must be silenced, he said. And how do you silence anybody if you don't rebuke them and take a stand against them? But the part I really like <coughs> is in the book of 1 Timothy. And, and Timothy, it, the Apostle Paul here is, is doing the writing too. And then the first, in the fifth chapter, this is where I got my hard hat and flak jacket. That I can wear a spiritual hard hat and flak jacket to kind of protect me. It says, do not rebuke an older man harshly. So, so suck it up and be nice <laughs> if you don't agree with me. I don't care if you don't agree. I'll defend your right to disagree. But I'll defend my right to speak my peace. And I'll defend your right to do the same thing. That's what freedom means. It said, but exhort him as if he were your father. And then he was dealing with the elders of the congregation, the leaders of the congregation, and he said the same thing about don't rebuke them, but pray for them and respect them as ones who are speaking the word of God. What I'm asking you as my brethren to do is to take the initiative for a change and quit being defensive and sitting around whining to each other when we have the freedom and the privilege to speak our mind to the people in a position who can change things. It's all right to send the president and I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm a great respecter of the office of president, even though I haven't seen a good one for a long time, in my judgment. I pray that that person, that's the reason I, I, I like Governor Huckabee. He's a godly man. I, I happen to know him a little bit. Spent a day with him in New York. You know what he does at his home church? He, has a, he attends church in Florida now. He drives a church bus. To me, that says a lot. He's not impressed with the fact that he's a big shot. He's wealthy. And I would love to have a president who really believed something but was kind to the people who differed with him. Because that's the difference, right? And we haven't seen much of that for a long time. The vitriol, the mean-spiritedness is causing hurt. And, and with the inflation that we have now, do you know who it hurts the worst? It hurts poor people. It hurts poor people. The average, this is coming from the government now, they're saying that the average family of four, it costs almost $375 a month more because of inflation. They say it's 7.5, but it's not. It's closer to 11.5% in order for those numbers to come out right. 
And people my age on a fixed income, we're fortunate. We don't need anything. We've, saved, we've earned well and saved well. But for poor people on a fixed income, for elderly on a fixed income, they're in a world of hurt. And we'll use our resources here at church if we have to, to help them. If you're a part of our congregation, if you can't pay your rent, let us know. We'll do what we can. It's not an easy life now in the most wonderful country that ever lived, that ever existed. Please, speak up. Speak up. Do it in the, with the right attitude, but speak up. Live your life in such a way that Christ can be seen in you, both for what you believe and what you're against. I don't know about you. I don't feel very well. I'm tired. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we're a free people. I pray for the capacity to love people that we don't even like very well. To be recipients of your grace and extend it to others. Bless the leaders of our country, every one of them from the top down. We pray that they'll have ears to listen as we speak our peace. Not as mean-spirited, angry people, but as people who love you, Father, and love our country and want the best for everybody. Lord, keep us free. And keep us brave enough to defend it. We pray for the poor people in, your, in the Ukraine massacre. Help us, O oh God, that it never comes here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.